Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's online service. We're so happy to have you here. We want to remind you that again, next week, Sunday, January the 3rd, we will also only be having online service. We will not be hosting an in-person service at that time. Christmas may be past, but we're still in the season. Hope you're enjoying yourself. But in the midst of that, we just want to remind you to be checking your email and following us on social media platforms, just in case there's any updates. So that's it for today. Have a wonderful day and God bless you.
Hello everyone. It's great to be with you again, even if it is virtually. Often when we are at the end of one year and very close to another year, it seems like a good time, a natural time to reflect and on the past 12 months and begin to prepare mentally and emotionally, physically and spiritually for the year to come. I don't need to tell you that 2020 will be a year that will not soon be forgotten. And not knowing what 2021 will bring, we do live in hope that it will be a better year. As believers, we need to have anchor points or biblical principles on which to hold as we move into this new year. If you have your Bibles, and I'd encourage you to, to grab your Bible, uh, could you take a moment and open up to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, this is an extremely interesting letter from Paul to the church in Colossae. It's a city that was in what we know now as southern Turkey. Uh, Paul was primarily responsible for the planting of churches in the then known world, Asia. But in this case, this church in Colossae, it actually was a second generation church that was planted by some of the people whom Paul had mentored. And Paul hears by the grapevine that there's a belief system that is growing and has the potential to cause great division. It wasn't some minor theological point. It actually was centered around who Jesus was. While agreeing, while everybody was agreeing that Jesus was a great leader, even the Messiah, the idea of a simple childlike faith was being marginalized and pushed to the side. Actually, Christian faith in this church was becoming complicated. It wasn't based, or the argument wasn't based on commonly held tenets of faith. Uh, because they knew and we know that we accept Christ through faith. But it had become about how well the members of the church individually understood the deep truths of faith. And there was this belief that this was done through mystical experiences. Uh, maybe a little bit like what we would think of as the Da Vinci Code or National Treasure. You know, only a privileged few can understand, like the characters of Tom Hanks and Nicolas Cage and how they were always discovering the secrets. And Paul, who's in prison at this time, he decides to write a letter to refute this. And although the exact heresy is not clear, because there were uh, numerous heresies at this time, it appears that this particular one was uh, about something that we have referred to, or theologians have referred to, as Gnosticism. And this was the Greek tendency to put faith in how much uh, knowledge one had acquired. I, I suppose we could rearrange a, uh, a saying that you and I know, and the, the, the way that we would rearrange it is by saying, it's not who you know, in this case Jesus, but it's what you know that is important. This is, this is what was prevalent uh, in coming down the pike in this church. Um, before we get too critical of the Greeks, because you know that's a great culture, has great food, 
Um, we think of the transitions. We just pause to think of the transitions that the people in the church were going through. Uh, Jesus was now the person in whom they were putting faith. The Jewish people had moved from the Old Testament um, sacrificial system with the, the blood of goats and lambs, and they were moving into the Jesus is once and for all sacrifice. And that was a, that was a major transition. Uh, Gentiles, and one of them was Philemon, who a book was named after in the New Testament, um, they, they, their lives were, in the past, uh, immersed in the acquiring of knowledge. They spent a lot of time in the library, as it were. And now, they were abandoning their secular thinking and putting their faith in a man who had died and rose again. And so, about 60 years after the crucifixion of Jesus, Paul senses that there's a little, uh, there's a few, you know, road bumps here, uh, that uh, speed bumps that the church was going through, and he writes uh, to the people of Colossae to address this. Um, I'd like to read Colossians 1, uh, 15 to 23, and this will be our launch point for our comments today. It says this, again, uh, Colossians 1, 15 to 23, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you to Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Um, while we'll focus on these verses that I have just written, uh, read, I'm sorry, um, I think we need to make a few comments on the verses at the first part of this chapter, in Colossians chapter 1. My wife, she taught business communications at Sheridan College. And as she was in her instructional times, and she was telling the students how to write an email or a letter, she always said, you know, you need to start with something positive. 
you know, thank you for your interest in my situation, or your attention to detail has been gratifying, or I appreciate the time that you took to call me personally. And Paul must have taken that course at Sheridan because he does the very same thing. He makes sure that as he writes to these people, that they understand the church was not 100% in error. Uh, the issue that Paul was going to address had not led to total ineffectiveness. Paul describes this church as one that's having faith and love as a result of becoming the followers of Jesus. It even appears that the church is growing. And this was a, a, an opportunity for Paul to encourage the church toward personal and corporate growth. And as an introduction to the issue at hand, Paul goes on and states, you know, there is a role for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. So in other words, he's not refuting that there's a problem with wisdom or with knowledge or understanding, but perhaps maybe the way that they're handling it or viewing it. In fact, Paul prays that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. The specific word that Paul uses here is not referring to human intellect, that which we can kind of construct through our own brain waves, but he's referring specifically to the knowledge of God. Not an intellectual understanding or head knowledge, but a personal knowledge that we as Christians are privileged to have. It's like being in relationship with a friend that we have coffee with. We know them. And the more coffee we drink with them, the better we get to know them. So this is what Paul was saying. That's okay, but the way that you are looking at knowledge in, in Colossae, we, we need to examine that and we need to do a course correction here. Uh, let me hasten to add also that studying the Bible is not a bad thing. You know, wrestling with some theological concepts can reveal a greater understanding of God. That's not what Paul was saying. He wasn't saying, that not, don't study your Bible. But in this letter, Paul is countering the thought that a higher level of knowledge on the part of some, they were thinking this gave them a higher degree of spirituality. And left unchecked, this emphasis on a, an exclusive secret knowledge would cause problems. Um, you know, it, it caused this attitude. You know, because I, I know more about Christianity, because I know more about the Old Testament scriptures, therefore, I, you know, I'm a better Christian than you. I'm at a higher level than you. And that attitude would possibly destroy the church. So what Paul does here in refuting this heresy and this misunderstanding, he turns the focus onto Jesus. And these are the things about Jesus that we can provide or that can provide us a foundation for 2021. If we truly understand who Jesus is, and anyone can, it's not privileged information, we can confidently step into the future. In verse 15 that we just read a few moments ago, it describes Jesus our Savior as the image of the invisible God, the image of the invisible God. The other day, I saw a brand new Corvette Stingray in a Tim Hortons parking lot. And if you're a car guy, you probably would have taken a second look, this brand new spanking beautiful car. 
At first glance, actually, I thought it was a Ferrari. I, I had to look twice because this Corvette seemed like a perfect image of a Ferrari. Uh, when we talk about image, we talk about visual likeness. As grandparents, we like nothing better than someone saying to us, you know what, your grandchild looks just like you. And of course, our natural response is, oh no, 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 they look much better than us. But deep down, we are so gratified that someone has recognized that our grandchild looks like us. When Paul is talking about Jesus being the image of God, He's talking about Jesus being the perfect reflection of the Trinity, one that we can understand. He was the perfect picture of divine mercy, of love, of power. Uh, these divine characteristics describe what prompted Jesus to lay down his life for his special creation, humanity, to reconcile us, or to build a bridge between us and a holy God. Here, here's the thing. In some senses, Paul is saying, that's the end of the discussion. That's all we need to know. There's no need for a higher understanding. And in the simplest form, this is the good news. This is something that can be understood by all of humanity. Paul inserts another often misunderstood descriptor of Jesus. The firstborn. He calls Jesus the firstborn over all creation. Now, we have to understand that sometimes translations straight across from Greek into English don't reveal all of the nuances that the author was trying to convey. The word firstborn uh, tends to make us think of the eldest child. Both my wife and I, we are the eldest ch children. We're the first you know, product of a mother and father. Um, and this, this was not what Paul was meaning. Uh, as, a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, there was sometimes still this kind of thinking around called Arianism, where the, their theology believes that Jesus was a lesser deity or less divine. Well, Jesus was fully human and fully divine when he came to earth. We must remember that he was eternal, no beginning and no end. The understanding of the term firstborn is more about status, not birth order. God called uh, the nation of Israel his firstborn on a number of occasions. Not chronological, but his chosen people, a status. In this case, Jesus was the Father's delegated authority over creation and salvation. He was the firstborn. This leads to another truth that we can hold on to in 2021. In this description, Jesus, the firstborn over all creation, he was supreme over all. We find our faith in Christ alone. We are in relationship with the one who is supreme. There's an old hymn that says, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light. He's my strength. He's my song. That's what we celebrated just a few days ago. Christmas is about Emmanuel, the Supreme One, being with us, being born of a virgin, taking on the form of a human, to come and to die for us, 
for our sins to take that penalty. And now through redemption and forgiveness brought through Jesus and because of his supremacy, we have been brought in, we've been ushered into this new kingdom, this kingdom of light. Here's what Paul was saying in all of this. He was saying, it's not what we do that brings us spiritual life. It's not a secret knowledge. It's not a human effort. It's what Jesus, the Supreme One, does for us that makes us a follower of Jesus and brings to us spiritual life. And it is Jesus, the Supreme One, that we can count on as we move into a new year because our lives are rooted in Him. Paul doesn't stop there. There's one more principle that Paul is alluding to when he talks about Jesus being the image of God. He's saying that Jesus is all-sufficient. It's not enough to know that Jesus is supreme. It's important, but it's even more important to know that He is all that we need. An old hymn, Jesus Christ is made to me all I need, all I need. He alone is all my plea. He is all I need. If you look through this passage, there are some key phrases, a list, as it were, of those things that have been accomplished because He is all that we need. Redemption. We've experienced being redeemed. We've experienced the forgiveness of sins. We've been reconciled to a holy God. We've uh, had peace made between us and God. We've been made blameless and beyond reproach. And you follow my logic here. If Jesus can do all of these things, which are fundamental and foundational to our spiritual lives, those things that were accomplished at the cross when we decided to follow him, then he can do all that we need. He can be all that we need as we move into the next 12 months. He is all-sufficient. So what is our response this morning? Well, our response is this. We continue to trust Him. We continue to thank Him and praise Him. We put our continued faith in Him. We rest in the fundamental characteristics of Jesus. His supremacy and His sufficiency, knowing that He is all we need. Let's pray together. Lord, we bow in your presence. Once again, we thank you for these words found in this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. And we identify with these words. We, we hide these words in our heart once again, these characteristics of you being supreme over all and sufficient for all that we need in life. Allow that to be a truth that will mark these next 12 months as we work through and pray through and walk through 2021. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the darkness we were waiting without hope and without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy
Thank you for joining our service today. I hope your Christmas season has been filled with hope, peace, joy, and love because of the reality of who Jesus is and our reminder of his coming in this, the first Advent. If we can be of assistance to you, please do not hesitate to reach out through email or call. I want to remind you that our office is closed this coming week, but we are on call, and if there's an emergency, we'll be quick to respond. God bless you, and until we see you again, take care.